Thank you, band. Uh, good morning, and welcome again to Hiawatha Church. My name is Spencer. I'm one of the pastors here, and like Emily said, uh, especially if you're a visitor, welcome to our church. We're glad that you are here. Uh, my wife and I were gone last week, uh, and it was weird. We, we really do miss our church family. We miss gathering with you guys. We miss singing with you. Um, but last week, we were at one of our one of Hiawatha's uh, church plants that we planted almost a year ago, Center Church, which is up in uh, Fridley, and I got the chance to preach up there, and so... Really great time for, for many of you who are asking me how they're doing. They're doing super great, but uh, continue to pray for them. Um, if you don't know, if, if, if you're newer to Hiawatha, we highly value church planting. We are a church plant ourselves. We're a new church that began about 10 years ago. Today is actually uh, our 10th birthday. We celebrated a few weeks ago, but today would be the, the Sunday that's uh, 10 years ago today. God uh, launched us, and we're still here, so we're very thankful for that, and that he allows us to be a part of church planning here locally as well as throughout the United States and uh, throughout the world as well. And so pray for Center Church, for Kevin and Casey up there, but uh, praise God they're, they are doing, doing super well. Um, and happy Labor Day. Uh, hopefully you are enjoying uh, an extra long weekend. I, I preached this weekend a few years ago, and I kept calling it Memorial Day because I back then didn't remember or, or know the difference between the two days. But uh, the crowd did a very good job at reminding me uh, again and again and again that, no, it's not, it wasn't Memorial Day, it was, it was Labor Day. So, so happy Labor Day. I uh, hope you are in, enjoying uh, this beautiful, uh, and for many of you, a longer weekend as well. So uh, as we start, I have a question for you. What is your favorite love story? Or what do you think is the greatest love story ever? I know some of you have lots of stories or movies or, or novels in your mind right now. Some of you, you have a blank mind right now, you're like, love stories? Romantic comedies, those, those aren't, aren't quite my things, but uh, I was just kind of looking it up online. Goodreads, which is a, a website that tracks books and stuff, the number one love story or, or uh, a novel in the romance genre is Pride and Prejudice. Or uh, if you look at Rotten Tomatoes, which says movies, the number one uh, movie in that genre is, is Singing in the Rain. Uh, but maybe, maybe you thought something like uh, Romeo and Juliet. Anyone? Maybe, maybe, maybe not, or uh, maybe Titanic, another great, great love story. Yeah, if you guys kind of notice, there's, there's a trend going on here. Leonardo DiCaprio in a movie becomes a great love story. Actually, I told this to my wife, Amy, and she goes, you realize they die at the end of both of those movies, so I don't really know what that means, but, uh, or maybe my personal uh, favorite love story ever, Twilight. Anyone? Some of you right now do not know if I am being sarcastic or not, and it's really uncomfortable for you. you you're wondering if I, I do think that's true or not. But anyway, today we're going to look at a great love story, 67 verses long, uh, a beautiful love story between two characters that we don't know much about yet. One is just going to be introduced in today's passage. The other, we've seen a little bit about him so far, but it's a beautiful love story uh, in the book of Genesis, which is the book of the Bible we're preaching through right now. So today, our story has lots of great things that make a great love story, great conflict and resolution. There's a son who's, who's stricken by grief after his mother's death. He's alone. He doesn't have a wife. There's a father who loves his son deeply, and just after his wife has died, he wants to make sure that his son does have a wife. He doesn't want his, wife, or doesn't want his son to be deceived by, the, by, by a wife that would lead him astray to worshiping other gods and, and, and worshiping false gods. And so kind of one of the last things he wants to do before he dies is to make sure his son and, and his family is taken care of. There's a young woman from a distant land who has to choose between her home country, her family, her identity there, and her potential future husband. There's a jealous and kind of greedy older brother who tries to keep these two apart. And there's 500 plus miles of desert and wilderness separating these two. So not only will we see a great love story in today's passage, which happens to be the, the longest narrative uh, in Genesis, one, one single story, but for the initial readers, so the first people that would have read the book of Genesis, the, the nation of Israel, that also see a love story between their God, between the Lord and themselves, the God who both created them as a nation as well as sustained them. We're going to see lots of conflicts and problems and things come up in this story that's going to keep 
the, the, the promise or Israel from becoming a great nation. It's going to keep that from happening, but we're going to see God step in again and again and again and again and protect and save and persevere his people. They're going to see their God overcome all kinds of obstacles and challenges in order that they might be born as a nation as well as survive. And as always, we're going to see that this love story today points ahead to an even greater love story. Today's story is going to foreshadow and allude to the greatest love story ever, that of Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. Like I said, we're in a series in the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible. I'm going to give you a very brief, so we're in chapter 24. I'm giving you a very brief review so you know how we got where we are, especially if you're brand new here today. Uh, if you want to follow along, it's, there's pew Bibles in front of you. Um, we say this not enough, but if, if you don't have a Bible and you'd like a Bible, feel free to take one of those. Our gift to you, we'd love for everyone to have a Bible uh, that they can have and own and, and, and bring home. So, so far in our story, there's this guy named Abraham. And so God calls this guy Abraham. He's in a foreign country. He, uh, he's worshiping false gods. And God comes and he says, listen to me, follow me, leave your family, leave your country, leave your identity, go to a new land, and I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you, I will give you many, many, many offspring, and through your offspring, through uh, this nation that will come out of you, uh, all the world will be blessed. And so Abraham leaves his home country, goes to a far-off country, which is uh, now the land of Canaan, or later becomes Israel. So that happens with Abraham, and then uh, for decades and decades and decades, Abraham and his wife can't have a kid. And so God promises that I'm going to make you into a great nation, but without kids, how, how are you going to have children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and become a, a great nation? So that's a big problem we see in Genesis for, for many chapters. And then finally, they get a kid. Finally, they have a kid, Abraham and his wife, Sarah, and this kid's name is Isaac. He's nearly sacrificed uh, and we'll talk more about that a little bit later. So that's where Isaac kind of came in. And where we saw him at his birth. We saw him at an instance where he was nearly sacrificed. And God kind of stepped in and saved him and, and figuratively resurrected him from the dead. And fast forward a little bit to last week's chapter. Sarah, Abraham's wife, has just died. So Isaac's mother has just died. And that's, that's where our story picks up today. So this family is, is without its mother, is without its uh, queen if you will, and that's where our story takes place. So today's sermon is entitled Isaac and Rebecca. So kind of spoiler alert, Abraham does find a wife for his son. So even though we're going to read it and I'm going to pretend like you guys don't know how it ends, he actually does find Rebecca and it's, it's, a, it's a happy ending. So we're in, verse, uh, or in uh, chapter 24 of Genesis. We're going to read all 67 verses, which is uh, quite long, but it kind of makes sense, right? So lots of love stories are are very long, like Titanic, Gone with the Wind. Twilight was like, what, eight movies long or something? So, so it makes sense. So turn to Genesis 24. It'll be up there on the screen. Um, not in your insert. Way too long for that. So you can follow along in the Pew Bible or, or on screen. So today as we walk through our story, remember that the big problem is, is that Isaac doesn't have a wife. And the, the reason that that's a problem is because how was God's promise? God's covenant with Abraham and Abraham's offspring. How is that going to happen? How is that going to be fulfilled if they can't have more and more offspring and become a great nation and then bless the world? So, so have that in your mind. The big problem is that Isaac does not have a wife. And we'll see again and again and again, conflicts and problems arise and come between our two lovebirds and threaten God's promise and this covenant that he has made to Abraham. All right, let's start. Genesis 24. Now, Abraham was old, well advanced in years. I think he was about 140 years old at this time. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. So right now, Abraham, they're, they're nomadic people, but they're kind of living in Canaan. And again and again and again, we've seen uh, in Genesis so far that the people of Canaan are, are just very evil and wicked. And so because Abraham loves his son, and he knows that if, if uh, Isaac marries a Canaanite woman, that he'll be tempted to worship their gods 
And we see this again and again throughout the Bible. Old Testament, we see it a lot. We see kings take foreign wives. We see people take foreign spouses and they bring their foreign idols and they, they stop worshiping God Almighty and they step, start worshiping fake gods. So Abraham is saying, find a wife for my son, but make sure she is not for one of these Canaanites who will lead my son astray. Verse 4, but go uh, to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, see to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you and you shall take a wife for my son from there. So he makes it very clear. Go and try to find a wife for my son and bring her back here, but do not let my son leave this place. Two reasons. Again, he thinks that if, if Isaac leaves the rest of the family, that he'll probably start worshiping false gods, that the, the covenant, the promise will be broken. And he, he reminds his servant here, he says, remember God's covenant to me is that it's, it's not just offspring, but that God is going to give me and my offspring. He's going to give me this land, this land that I'm sitting in right now. So Isaac can't leave. He can't go back to the place where I used to be, the very beginning of Genesis, where Abraham came from, because God took me from there. God saved me out of there and brought me to this land. So Abraham makes that very clear. Verse 8, but if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham. It's kind of weird, but I guess they did that back then. Uh, of his master and swore to him concerning this matter. So here's one of the, one of the challenges or one of the uh, kind of conflicts that we see in this story. We see Isaac not having a wife, and that's a big problem. So Abraham sends his servant into a far-off land to, to try to find him a wife from Abraham's kindred, from his, from his extended family, from his tribe. And so we're wondering, will the servant find this person? Verse 10, Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master, and he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. There is, uh, first of all, you see Abraham's great wealth. He's able to send 10 uh, camels, as well as a bunch of gifts that he's going to give as well. So just think of a guy you know, going to a far-off nation, uh, driving 10 vehicles, or a big entourage or something. So we see uh, Abraham's great wealth. If you go to the next slide, we see a, a map here. So Abraham's kind of down there at the bottom where it says Jerusalem or the Negev. That's kind of where he's at right now, near Hebron. And so he's sending his servant all the way up north to where, the, where it says Harem up there by the Euphrates River north of there. So this is about a four to 500-mile uh, journey. It's going to take him 20 to 25 days to get up there. So a very long journey. Verse 11, And he made the camels kneel down outside of the city, by the well of the water at the cool of the evening, the time when the women go out to draw water. And so back then, if you live in the desert, you don't want to come out and draw water in the middle of the day where it's scorching hot, but you get water the beginning of the day or at the end of the day. So that's what's going on here. So this guy pulls up to, to this city that is, that is named after one of Abraham's, uh, I think it's his brother or something. And so he knows that this is where Abraham's kindred, his tribe, is going to be. He pulls up to the well because he knows, hey, we don't have you know Christian Mingle or match.com here. So the way I'm going to find uh, a wife that, that matches Abraham's criteria is by going, going to this well, knowing that the women are going to come out uh, in the cool of the evening to gather water, and that's what's going on here. Verse 12, and he said, so this, uh, this servant prays to God. He says, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the women to whom I shall say, please let down your jar and I may drink, and who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. So he pulls up to the well, and he, he kind of makes this deal with God or says, God, lead this way because I, I don't know who to pick. So I'm going to ask a woman who's, who's pulling up her jar from the well, I'm going to say, can I have a drink? And if she says yes, and then says not just yes, but hey, I see you have 10 camels. Let me spend t 
tons of time and lots of work watering your camels. So, so something pretty, pretty unique, pretty specific. Let the woman that does that be the woman that, God, you have appointed for my master's son, Isaac. So again, kind of the, the, the reader that would first be hearing this, and, and us maybe if this is the first time you're hearing this, kind of hold our breath like, this kind of seems like a big request. Like, we, we don't often do this with God, and this is kind of unique in Scripture, and so we're wondering, will he find this person? Will there be any woman that's, first of all, from the tribe or the, the, the kindred of Abraham show up, and will she offer to, to not only give him water, but also to, to, to water all of his camels and stuff? And if, if, uh, this, if this woman is anything like myself and, and my mother, I was taught you should not uh, take anything from strangers or talk to strangers. So this guy kind of pulling up and, and saying this is what needs to happen, we should see this as, this is pretty unique, this is pretty strange. Will this happen? And if it does happen, God must be behind it. And look at this, verse 15, God shows up. But before he had finished speaking, before he had finished his prayer to God, his kind of deal with God of, this is what I need you to do, so I know this is the right woman. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born of Beth, uh, Bethuel, a son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden who no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camel also until they have finished drinking. And so we see kind of the, the three things Abraham says he needs to find in a potential wife for Isaac. Needs to be from his kindred, needs to be from his tribe. Check, she's got that. She needs to be single. Check, she's got that. And third, she needs to kind of do this thing of, of, of uh, not only offering him water, but offering to serve him by watering all his camels. So we see she's the one. She's the one that God has appointed and prepared for Isaac. Verse 20, so she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water, and she drew for all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half a shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing ten gold shekels and said, Please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. She added, We have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness towards my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of a master's kinsman. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about the things, about these things. Verse 29, Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban. Laban ran out towards the man to the spring. We're going to see this character come up later on in the story, as well as in our passage today. Kind of, It's her brother, and he's kind of a crooked greedy character. We'll see this play out a little bit later today. As soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arm and heard the words of Rebekah, his sister, thus the man spoke to me. He went to the man. And behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. He said, Come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man came to the house and unharnessed the camels and gave strong fodder to the camels. And there was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Then food was set before him to eat, but he said, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. He said, speak on. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master, and he has become great. He has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore him a son, bore a son to my master when she was old, and to him... He has given all that he has. My master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell, but you shall go to my father's house and to my clan and take a wife for my son. I said to my master, Perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, The Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you and will prosper your way. You shall take a wife for my son from my clan and from my father's house. Then you will be free from my oath when you come to my clan. 
And if they will not give her to you, you will be free from my oath. I came today to the spring and I said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now you are prospering the way that I go, behold, I am standing by the spring of water. Let the virgin who comes out to draw water, to whom I shall say, please give me a little water from your jar to drink, and who will say to me, drink, and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Before I had finished, before I had finished speaking, in my heart, behold, Rebekah came out with her water jar on her shoulder, and she went down to the spring and drew water. I said to her, please let me drink. And she quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, drink, and I will give your camels drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camels drink also. Then I asked her, whose daughter are you? She said, the daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her arm. Any, any people out there, their parents didn't like the nose ring they got them? You can just say, Mom, it was biblical. Right? <laughs> then I bowed my head and I worshipped the Lord and I blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. Now then, if you are going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me. And if not, tell me. And I may return to the right hand or to the left. So it kind of lays it out to, to Rebecca and her extended family, the people that are responsible for her, who are in charge of her. He says, this is what happened. And he does it quite convincingly. We're going to see that they, they, they respond favoritively. They, they believe, wow, God must be behind this for, for all these things to happen. And the servant says, tell me. What's your response? Tell me now so that I may turn to the right or to the left. Verse 50, then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, the thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you, bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. And the servant brought out jewelry of silver and gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments, and he and the men who were with them ate and drank, and they spent the night there. When they arose in the morning, he said, Send me away to my master. I want to see Laban's greed kind of come up here now. Her brother and her mother said, Well, let the young woman remain with us for a while, at least ten days. After that, she may go. So some people look at this and they pick up and they say, uh, Well, maybe, and you can understand, if you're about to, you know, not see your sister or your daughter, probably forever again, you'd want her to stay for longer. But a lot of people pick up at this and they, and they see Laban here as well as later on in the story and they, they note what just happened. So they said, yes, we think this is from God. Rebecca, you can go marry Isaac. And then they get a ton of gifts and they sleep on it. And then the next day Laban's like, oh no, you should really stay a little bit longer. Most people see this as Laban being pretty greedy and just wanting more money, wanting to get more rewards out of them. So her brother Laban and her mother said, let the young woman remain here with us for a while, at least 10 days. After that, she may go. But he said to them, do not delay me since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away so that I may go to my master. They said, let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebecca and they said to her, will you go with this man? So again, the reader of the story, the watcher of the story kind of holds their breath. What is she going to say? For the first time in the story, we see I mean, Abraham said she gets to choose whether or not she comes or not, but first time in the story now, Rebecca gets to speak. She gets to say, do I want to go and marry this guy? Do I really think that God is behind this? Does he seem like a man I'd like to marry? They talk about him being wealthy and about his, his father respecting him and giving him all that he has. And so here the, the reader kind of holds their breath. Will Rebecca choose him? Will the promise continue through this? And they asked her, will you go with this man? She said, I will go. So they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's, servants, and his, Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gates of those who hate him. So if you've been with us through Genesis, you see that this kind of, this, this, this song, this blessing that they give, to Rebecca before she leaves kind of mirrors or resembles the blessing that God has given to Abraham. So it's kind of a cool uh, connection between God's covenant and promise through Abraham as well as uh, people out, outside of this. Rebecca's sisters and family also saying the same thing. 
Verse 61, Then Rebekah and her young women arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. So now the final big conflict or big obstacle is we have to, as, as readers, we wonder, is Isaac going to accept it? Which comes up next. You guys know, I already, I already told you what's going to happen. Verse 62, Now Isaac, Isaac had returned from Beir Lahai Roy. It was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the fields towards evening. And he lifted up his eyes and he saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel. And she said to the servant, who is this man walking in the field to meet us? So she's been told about this guy. She's been told he's, he's wealthy, he's respected, he's kind, he loves and serves God Almighty. But she's got to be wondering, right? What does this guy look like? How is he going to treat me? Is he going to be kind? How is my life going to be like here? Who is this man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, it is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. It's kind of a symbol of betrothal. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. So the servant comes back, tells, tells Isaac, this is what happened on my journey. This is the, the, the prayer I had to God. This is how God fulfilled it. This is how her family responded. This is Rebecca's faithfulness, her choice, that she wanted to come here and marry you, that, that she wanted to follow God. She saw that God was behind all of this. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. And he lived happily ever after. Almost. We're going we're to see they, they, do, they do live happily ever after. They do have some, some issues kind of come up a little later on in Genesis, but we see a great ending to their love story here. So whether it is the, the characters in our story, whether it is the first people who are reading this, the, the people of Israel, whether it's us ourselves, what we see unfold in this story is that God's faithfulness. After obstacle and, and challenges, all these things, we see God overcoming them, his, his sovereignty over the, 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 the birth, the very beginning of the nation of Israel that, that later becomes the Jewish people. We see God's faithfulness to continue his promise, the promise he gave to Abraham and then Abraham's offspring as well. So we see challenges and, and problems and obstacles come up over and over again. The, the, the reader kind of holds their breath. The, the characters in the story wonder what's going to happen. How can this happen? This seems so unrealistic. But yet God works incredibly through all of these things and brings resolution and he continues his promise. He continues his covenant. And so again, Israel would see God in this story as, as both the creator, beginner of the nation of Israel, as well as the sustainer of it. And as Christians, we live on the other side of the cross. So Israel, when they're first reading this, when Genesis was first published, you know, they're going to see it a certain way. We have vantage point of being thousands of years later, of having the entire Bible, of having the New Testament, books way beyond Genesis, to, to say, hey, Jesus came and he lived and he died, and that affects what happened back here in Genesis 24. So as Christians living on this side of Jesus' life and death, we see our own story in the story of Isaac and Rebekah. As we were reading that, some of you were probably picking up on that. Either you were thinking, man, this is a great love story, and I resonate with this, or you were saying, or maybe you are saying, this kind of resembles my own story, or this kind of resembles our salvation. We see an even greater point to this story as Christians than just the creation and the sustaining of Israel. We see a foreshadowing of an even greater love story that is appointed and sustained by God despite great conflicts and against all odds, just like our story today. So their story, Rebecca and Isaac, is our story. Isaac resembles and foreshadows Jesus Christ, while Rebecca resembles and foreshadows the bride of Christ, which is the church, which is us, those of us here who are Christians. We begin to see Isaac resemble Jesus earlier on in the story. So I said that briefly, but a few weeks ago, there's a part in the story where Abraham takes his son Isaac and is going to sacrifice him. God told Abraham to sacrifice his son, and Isaac, as a willing teenager, a 20-year-old, his father being in 100 plus, so he easily could have got out of it. But we see 
uh, Isaac willingly go along with it. We see Isaac carrying the wood for the sacrifice on his back, up the hill, and submitting to his father. Similarly, we see Isaac's descendant, Jesus Christ, also carry his cross on his back, up a hill, to submit to his father's plan. But unlike Isaac, who was saved by God, sending a ram to die in his place, Jesus actually was sacrificed as a sacrificial lamb in our place. So we saw it way back then in, in that story, uh, Isaac resembling Jesus, and we're going to see it again in our story. In the uh, New Testament, Hebrews 11 talks about what happened with, with Abraham and Isaac and the sacrifice there, and they say that uh, Isaac was figuratively resurrected. It was as if he died and was resurrected when, when God showed up and, and, and provided the ram, if you remember that story. But we see that Jesus is the true and better Isaac, who wasn't just willing to be sacrificed, but he actually gave up his life. He was not just figuratively resurrected, but was physically resurrected, defeating death once and for all. But the resemblances don't just stop in that story. We see him again today. In today's story, we see Isaac as a Christ figure a lot, as someone who is not only an ancestor of Jesus Christ, but also resembles him greatly in this story. So not only was Isaac figuratively resurrected, whereas Jesus was actually resurrected, in today's story, we see that Isaac, he, he finds a bride in a far-off land. Jesus, similarly, left his home to find a bride in a far-off land. Today's passage, we see Isaac send a servant, or Abraham send a servant into a very distant land in order to look for a future wife. But unlike Isaac, Jesus didn't just send a servant to find a bride for himself, but rather he left his home and he traveled to a distant land in order to woo and to rescue a bride for himself. The New Testament speaks about this a lot. It's in the Old Testament as well with God and Israel, but the New Testament speaks about Jesus in, in, in husband language. He said, uh, they say that Jesus is symbolically a husband to his bride, which is the church. We said in uh, Ephesians 5, and, and, and some other places as well. Ephesians 5, 31 and 32 say, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. So he's saying marriage is profound, about a man leaving his, or a woman leaving her family and marrying a man and becoming a new family unit. This is a mystery, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So we see that the bride of Christ, the wife of Christ, is really the church, is, is Christians. It's one of the analogies or one of the symbols that the New Testament uses. The resemblance continues. So Isaac gave his bride great inheritance and reward. And we, see, we see that she shares in the inheritance. So both when she says yes, the servant gives her a bunch of, bunch of wealth, whether it's jewelry or clothing. And we see that once she marries, she also becomes his heir and becomes very, very wealthy. We saw earlier in our passage, Abraham said, or the servant said that Abraham had give, given his son everything that he had owned as well. So Isaac is wealthy now in turn. When Rebekah marries him, she becomes wealthy. Jesus also gives his bride a great reward and a share in his inheritance. So not only does Jesus leave his heavenly home and come to earth to receive a bride, but he also gives his bride a great reward and inheritance as well. Salvation and the Holy Spirit until we fully possess our eternal life with him in the new heavens and the new earth. Ephesians 1 talks about this. This is all over the New Testament as well. It's very, it maybe surprises you to look in the New Testament to see how much it talks about inheritance and about being an heir, which should remind us, look back to the Old Testament and, and see where, where does this stuff come up as well. So Ephesians picks up on this. So it's a letter written to the church, written to the bride of Christ, and look at all this inheritance language. Starting in verse 11, in him, in Christ, we have ob obtained an inheritance. Having been predestined, or like in our passage today, it said God appointed. Having been predestined according to the purposes of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantor of our inheritance until we 
acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So our inheritance, our reward as Christians is salvation, is eternal life with our, our, our spiritual bridegroom. And just like when you get engaged to someone, uh, the fiance, she gets, a, she gets an engagement ring. Similarly to that, it's kind of like an engagement ring, we're given the Holy Spirit as a guarantee that, hey, this wedding is actually going to happen. It's not just an inheritance that might happen if the bridegroom still likes you in a few months or a few years, but it's a guarantee that it's going to happen. Similarly, our inheritance as Christians, as the bride of Christ, we, we get the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee that our inheritance will come. Unlike many in the ancient world, this marriage in our story today wasn't an arranged marriage. So for Isaac, the bride can choose to come or stay. Similarly for us, we can choose Jesus or we can choose to stay in our sins. So unlike an arranged marriage, both families knew, both Abraham's family as well as Rebecca's family, they knew that she might choose not to come with Isaac and become his husband. Rebecca had a choice. Remember back in, in verse 57, they said to her, Let, let's call the woman, let's call Rebecca and ask her. Verse 58 says, and they called her and asked her, will you go with this man? And she responds, I will go. So like Rebecca, we have a choice whether or not we'll follow Jesus. Jesus calls us, calls everyone here in this room today to follow him, to deny ourselves, to become his disciples. But he never forces anyone against their will. He never drags them kicking and screaming into his family to be his follower. All right, so we looked at how, how uh, Isaac resembles Jesus. Now let's look at how we, the church, resemble Rebecca. So in our story today, Rebecca was the bride of Isaac, whereas the church is the bride of Christ. We see Rebecca in our story today. She was invited to leave her family and her country as an act of faith and move to a new land and a new family. And similarly, we're also called, as Christians, we're called by Christ to leave our old identities that come from the family that we were born in, the nation that we grew up in. We're called to leave them as an act of faith and to now, through Christ, receive a new spiritual family and a new home. Jesus, in his ministry, he told his disciples, he said, Truly I say to you that there is no one who has left home or brother or sister or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children. So Jesus is, is saying two things here. First of all, he's saying this will happen to my disciples. My followers will have to give up biological, earthly mothers, fathers, brothers, and sisters. We've seen that a lot here at Hiawatha. We've seen people come to faith and their family be suspect of it. They think it's, they, 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 they shouldn't be Christians or they think, hey, you, or they're just not supportive. We see it again and again and again. We see extended family or parents or siblings not come to people from Hiawatha, their baptism or their kids' dedication or, or things like that. And Jesus says that's going to happen. There are going to be people, my disciples are going to break ties with mother, father, sister, and brother, because they are my followers. The second thing Jesus says, not only will that happen, but you will receive something even greater. My followers will receive a hundredfold now and this time. So we're, we're born into a spiritual family, or we're married into a new spiritual family. So not only does uh, Jesus here, not only does he call people away from their families and to him, he calls them to a new home a new nationality, and a new family. Ephesians 2 says, So now you Gentiles, so Gentiles just means non-Jew or non-Israelite. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. So just like Rebecca, that, that is who we are. Unless maybe you are an ethnic Jew, which I don't think many of you here in this room are. We, we are Gentiles, we are foreigners, we are strangers. Just like Rebecca, that's who we were before Christ. But now, you are citizens. So we, now we have a new identity. We're no longer Israelites. We're no longer Americans. We now have a more primary identity. We are citizens along with God's holy people. 
you are members of God's family. So we're born into or married now into a new spiritual family. So we're not prim- they are not primarily Jews anymore, not primarily Israelites, not primarily from a certain family. But now we are citizens of heaven, we're members of God's spiritual family. Or for us today, that would be there, if you are a Christian now, there is an identity that you have in Christ that's more important than you being American. That's more important than you being from Minnesota or a citizen here of, of Minneapolis or, or being a Peterson or whatever else your family might be. For Christians, there is, there's a greater identity. There is something even better than that. And that's being citizens of heaven and members of God's spiritual family. Spiritual family trumps biological family even though biological family is amazing. We, we uphold that. We celebrate that. We want that here. But we see how spiritual family is, is even more important than biological family, which should give lots of, lots of comfort to, to those here in this room who don't have believing siblings or parents or have lots of conflict and, and, and problems with their biological family because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And not only... Do we receive a new nationality, a new home, and a new family, just like Rebecca did? We receive those things in Christ. We also receive a new identity. So Rebecca received the new identity in Christ. She was no longer a member of her old nation, a member of her own, own family. But now her new identity is being a, a daughter of Abraham and a wife of Israel and, and a, a mother of the nation of Israel. Just like that, we as well receive a new identity in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17, speaking of Christians, says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, so if you are a Christian today, if you have trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, this is speaking about you. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You had a former identity. You're something new now. John 3, Jesus talks about being born again. We're not going to look at that today. But, but he uses this phrase, born again. So we actually, our lives start over. We have a new identity. We're not just born into a family with a certain citizenship and a certain body. But now when we trust in Christ, we are born again. Just like in marriage too, where, where, where most wives take their husband's last name. Similarly, we do the same thing. We take on, we're, we're no longer Spencer Peterson but my ultimate identity is Christian. That's my ultimate name that I get my identity from. So practically, how can this look? Which this one's super important, getting our identity in Christ and seeing how Rebecca did it as well. Often we can get our identity, whether, whether we say this aloud or whether this is just how we act, we can get our identity in being successful or in being a great mom or having a, a very great career or being a, hard-working employee, being a great student and getting good grades, maybe being popular, whatever it might be. The problem with this, not only is it contrary to, to what we just read about in Scripture, but it's having a new identity. But the problem with that is we can lose that, or we probably will lose that someday. And so if we really are going to take this, you know, 2 Corinthians 5.17, or what we see in Rebecca here, if we're going to take this to heart and live this out, it's going to mean that we don't get our identity in those things. We can be thankful that we're a mom or thankful that we're a great employee or that we're successful or good at sports or whatever it might be. But we need to check ourselves and see, does that define me? If I lost that, would I be devastated? Would I not know what to do? Because that is my everything. That is who I am. So if I can't be a mom anymore, if I can't be a dad anymore, if I can't be you know, a great uh, architect, or if I can't be a great athlete, if I start to lose my vision, or if I'm not popular anymore, am I completely devastated? Does it destroy me? If that's the case, then we really aren't practically getting our identity in who we are in Christ. If we have that identity, we are, we are secure. We're confident, not in who we are, but in whose we are. And finally, in our story, just like Rebecca, we're tempted to stay. We don't know how long Rebecca kind of wavered back and forth about, should I go, should I stay? Do I want to go? Do I want to stay? But just like Rebecca, we're, we're tempted to stay in our own life. We're tempted to return back 
to our sin, to our pasts, to our old identity. All throughout the Old Testament, God, God saves his people. Later on in the story, he saves them out of slavery in Egypt. And again and again and again, his people say, oh, we want to go back. We're tempted to go back. Yeah, we were slaves. Yeah, life was really hard back then, but it's a little bit better than kind of what's going on right now. And then in the New Testament, we see again and again a call to not be allured back to our old life, to not be tempted to go back to our sin. In one of Jesus' parables, the parable of, of the sower, he talks about seeds that, that, that grow up quickly, but then the temptations and the worries of this world kind of choke it out, and it dies. In our story, how, how did Rebecca overcome temptation? How did she get from uh, being where she was at to saying, I'm going to give it all up, I'm going to leave, I'm going to become Isaac's husband? How did she overcome the temptation to stay and kind of not follow what God was obviously appointing and leading? She looked to Isaac. She looked to her bridegroom. And we should do the same thing. When we're surrounded by the temptation to return to our former lives, to our sin, to our old identity, we look to our king, our savior, our bridegroom. And remember the great love story of the gospel, how Jesus left his home, how he became like us, how he wooed us to himself, how he died so we could be free, and how he welcomed us into his kingdom and into his family, giving us his name and making us co-heirs with himself to an eternity in his perfect kingdom. So practically, what that looks like for us is remembering that gospel when we're tempted to sin, when we're tempted to return to our old lives or to the old things that we, the old sins that we are slaves to. We remember that love story. We sing about it. We memorize it. We think about it intentionally. We talk with others about it. And doing all that will make that temptation to return to our sin and to our former life become more and more or become less and less appealing. Three things today as we leave. First one is thank, thank God for the love story that is the gospel and that you're invited to. That you're invited to leave your home, your family, your country, and your identity to be a part of it. Some of you today love romance or love you know, love stories, whether it's reading them, watching them, seeing them in, in real life, know that all of those are just shadows of the reality. If you love romance, if you love great love stories, if that just moves you, if you're passionate about that, know that that is, is, is just a shadow of the reality of the love story of the gospel, and that's offered to you today. So whether you're divorced, whether you are a widow, whether you're not married, whether you have a, a horrible relationship or marriage right now, Know that this longing that you have inside of yourself for a great love story that is offered to you in Jesus Christ. So when you're at a wedding and you see a marriage, you see great love between the bride and the groom, whether you're watching or reading a great love story, or whether you see it in your own life, know that all those things point to God's love for us, and specifically Jesus Christ's love for his church. And thank God that that love is true and that love is even better than the earthly love that we see and experience here. Secondly, leave your former identity, whether for the first time or for the millionth time. Do not, first and foremost, consider your home, your country, your city, your family, or your sinful nature, which for a lot of people that can be what was done to them or what they used to do and how they just get, can't get beyond that, that that becomes their identity, something that they feel can't get forgiven or they can't forgive themselves. Leave all of that former identity, just like Rebecca did today, as an act of faith and receive a new identity in Christ. So if you're a Christian, I speak to Christians right now, if you're a Christian here today, you are so much more than an American or a husband or a wife or a father or a mother or a friend or an employee or whatever you identify with, whatever you want to call yourself, a runner, a gardener, an athlete, a gamer, whatever it might be. If you're a Christian, you are so much more than that. Set aside that identity and get your identity in Christ. 
You should be confident and secure as a chosen, protected, and loved one of Jesus Christ himself, given the Holy Spirit as a guarantor until he returns, until we get to receive inheritance, our inheritance of eternal life with him. And finally, don't stay. So if you're, if you're not a Christian here today, if you're just checking out Christianity, if someone dragged you here, if you thought maybe you were a Christian, but maybe you're realizing not quite, don't stay. Don't stay in your former life. Don't stay in your former identity. Rebecca probably had a pretty decent life, but she was offered something so much greater. And so are we today. Don't stay in your former life. And once you have left, Christian here today or someone who's converting today, once you have left, don't return. Don't return to Egypt. Don't return to your former life. This salvation, this love story that we've been talking about, both Isaac and Rebecca and especially the gospel, this love story, this inheritance, this new identity is offered to you today. Just like Rebecca, today you're given a choice. And I beg you, and Jesus is inviting you today to choose him. And if you've already done that, if you are a Christian here today, don't ever leave that. Don't be tempted to go back to your old life or to think being a Minnesotan or an American or a computer programmer or a straight-A student is a better identity than being Christ's. And when you do get tempted, just like Rebecca did today, when you do get tempted to go back or to not want to leave, look to your spiritual husband. Look to the great bridegroom. Look to Jesus Christ who is an infinitely greater treasure than anything in our past or any identity we can get here. He is a priceless reward that is eternal and superior to anything that this world has to offer. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for great love stories, especially those of us who really resonate with romance and, and uh, love stories and movies and novels. God, we pray that when we see those, when we read scripture, that we would be uh, just captivated by that and realize that it's more than just a story. It's more than just some characters in a book or on a stage at a wedding or in a movie or at a play. But God, that, that's reality. And we are uh, proposed to. We are invited by you to become uh, your bride and to, to join your family, to receive an inheritance of eternal life with you, of, of uh, reconciliation with you. So God, we pray that we would receive that. Help us when we are getting our identity from, from sin, from evil things, from our former lives, or even our identity from good things. Things like, like being a good friend or being a good employee or a hard worker or whatever it might be. God, help those to not be our ultimate identity. Holy Spirit, convict us of how we are not doing that, of how we're confident because of something we might do and, and very insecure and we don't do great things rather than being confident in whose we are. Spirit, we need help. We need you to move. We need you to change our hearts. We need you to woo us to yourself. We need, we need you to help us remember our first love and our identity. Do that today. In Jesus' name.